Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. It's a great joy to be back at All Saints Church on All Saints Day with you who are here this morning and with you who are watching on the live stream. Um, Sorry that my wife Meg couldn't be here this morning. She was called to urgent grandmother duty, so she needed to drive to uh, Georgia last week, but she sends her her love and, and greetings to you all. I'm so very thankful for this church. Thankful for your love and for your prayers, uh, for me and for my family. Thankful for all that you do to support our diocese in providing our offices upstairs and hosting many events. I'm deeply grateful. You all have been through a difficult season, but you are persevering in faithful proclamation of the gospel and in caring for people in need. My great thanks to to you, Scott, and to to Jed, um, to Julie and Andy, to David and Desiree and Tara and Esther, uh, Heidi and Jason and your entire team, and to the members of the vestry. My great thanks to you for your sacrificial service, especially through some intense challenges. I bring you greetings from our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America. I was with him recently, and he sends his warm greetings to you all. Well, this morning, several young people are being confirmed, and adults are being received into this church. They're all reaffirming the commitments and vows made at baptism and seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live as followers of Jesus. Now, the word confirmation is not in the Bible, at least not the way we use it, but the practice of confirmation is in the Bible. Shouldn't trouble us that the word is not used. There are a number of important words that we use that are not in the Bible. The word Trinity, for example, is not in the Bible, but the doctrine of the Trinity, the truth of the Trinity is Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity is very much in the Bible, even though it's not with the word that we use for it. But again, that shouldn't bother us. Uh, The word grandfather is not in the Bible. But there are obviously a lot of grandfathers in the Bible, right? So-and-so is the son of so-and-so who is the son of so-and-so. They just don't use our word for it. Well, similarly, the word confirmation is not in the Bible, but the practice of confirmation is. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That was Timothy's confirmation. What Paul, the apostle, uh, or bishop in our context, uh, when he laid hands on Timothy to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Interestingly, that was not Timothy's ordination as a, as a priest, as a pastor, as an elder. That's spoken of in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, when Paul speaks to Timothy about the time when the council of elders laid their hands on him, which has always been the way that priests are ordained, when the other priests join with the bishop in laying hands on the one being ordained. But no, in 2 Timothy, Paul speaks about the time when he laid hands on Timothy. And that also wasn't when Timothy first became a Christian. Because we know from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy was already a disciple when he first met Paul. But Paul knew that even though Timothy was already a committed believer, it was important that he as the apostle lay his hands on Timothy for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call confirmation. And that's what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Publicly declaring our faith in Jesus and receiving the laying on of hands for the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Well, you don't need me to tell you how divided is our culture. How polarized our nation has become over just about everything. From handling the coronavirus epidemic to issues of race and justice to human sexuality and abortion. Oh, and oh yes, there's an election coming. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be the church in the midst of a culture that is so deeply and painfully divided? How do we as the people of God live in the pressure cooker environment we find ourselves in? How do we remain united as the body of Christ when the polarizing issues around us seem to demand that we take sides even against one another? In our Old Testament reading, we heard about Ezekiel's call from God in the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. In 597 BC, the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and the prophet Ezekiel was taken into exile to Babylon. Ezekiel's ministry took place there in exile, speaking God's word of judgment against Israel, including the declaration that the city of Jerusalem would come under siege yet again and would fall and the temple would be destroyed as indeed happened 11 years later. God made it clear to Ezekiel that he would not have an easy ministry. Although he was being sent to his own people, they would not listen to him. God said, if I sent you to a foreign people who don't even speak the same language you do, they would have listened to you. But your own people, the house of Israel... God said, they won't listen to you because they don't listen to me. They are all stubborn and hard-hearted. But God provided for Ezekiel. He gave him what he needed to fulfill his calling. God said in Ezekiel 3 verse 8, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. God was making Ezekiel as solid for the truth 
as his opponents were for their sinful rebellion. God was giving Ezekiel what it took so he wouldn't cave under pressure. So he would stand firm to proclaim the word of the Lord among people who despised it. I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Again and again, God tells Ezekiel, set your face. Set your face against Jerusalem. Set your face against the false prophets. Set your face against those who worship idols. Set your face against the pagan nations. Ezekiel was to be determined, resistant, unyielding, fearless, bold, willing to face all, to risk all, and to persevere to the end. And God's saying that to us as well. In a culture where mere affirmation of historic Christian teaching about marriage and sexuality is increasingly deemed to be hate speech, God says, don't compromise my word. Don't fold under the pressure that is likely only to increase. You may have to pay a price, but set your face like flint. At the same time, God told Ezekiel that his heart was to stay open to the word of God, receptive to the things of God. Verse 10, moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Ezekiel must not become calloused, insensitive, angry. He was to be tender-hearted and vulnerable, moved by the things that move the heart of God, even as he was hard as flint against all opposition. But it's possible to get that all wrong. Here's what the Lord showed the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 7, beginning at verse 8. The word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint. And would not listen to the law or the words that the Lord Almighty sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. They got it all wrong. They compromised God's truth. They were squishy where they were to be firm. And they were hard-hearted precisely where they were to be tender. They were oblivious to injustice. They were without compassion to the vulnerable. They thought the worst of others. I've been reading a bit about the impact that technology is having on us. Reading from both secular scientists and engineers like Jaron Lanier and Christian theologians and philosophers like Craig Gay of our own Anglican Church in North America. They are warning about what the technology is doing to our character, to our soul. In particular, they caution us that social media is fostering the polarization of our society 
to the extent that it is destroying our capacity for empathy. Now, I'm not qualified to explain how technology companies make use of algorithms, but these critics make clear that social media companies feed users, feed us, with a polarized diet of material that makes it more difficult to empathize with those who disagree with you. Lanier points out that what people see when they log into their preferred social media platform is a universe that has been completely customized by algorithms to provide material that either meshes with your hyper-individualized preferences or else is radically opposed to your views. And it leads to a culture where we are constantly reinforced in believing the very best of the virtues and motives and insights of our own camp and the very worst of those evil people who disagree. In fact, our culture urges you increasingly to demonstrate your commitment to your cause by how viciously you attack those you oppose. But we are to be firm here, hard against all opposition to God's truth and God's purposes, yet tender here, loving and open toward the Lord and toward people. Look at the example of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 50 contains the third of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah, four passages about the Messiah, the one who would suffer on behalf of others, the one who would take upon himself the sins of the world. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7, contain the familiar words about the unjust suffering that the Messiah would undergo. It says, I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. That's the prophetic word showing how the Messiah would live with his face set like flint. And that word was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. We read in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to Jerusalem to the cross, to his own painful death. And he set his face like flint. But look how he kept his heart tender even toward uh, those who were going to put him to death. From our reading this morning, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 41. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. His face was set firm against all opposition to the word and purposes of God, and yet his heart was full of love, even for those who rejected him. Jesus didn't become calloused or cynical or bitter through his painful experiences of rejection. He remained open and tender toward his heavenly father, 
weeping over the sins of the people. That, my friends, is the challenge for us. To have a face like flint against Satan's evil strategies to harm the church and to undermine our nation. But to be tender-hearted toward God, toward the things of God, and toward people, those whom God loves, even those we believe are causing real harm. But how can we do this? How can we be both rock solid against opposition to the Lord and yet loving and tender toward people? One more biblical example will help us. The prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, the people of Israel have rejected the Lord as their king. And they have demanded a human king so that they can be like all the other nations. And this is in direct disobedience to the will of the Lord and the word which Samuel had spoken to them. But in spite of their rejection of Samuel's wise counsel and leadership, Samuel remains tender-hearted toward this rebellious people. 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Now, how is Samuel able to be so gracious and so encouraging to those who've been so difficult for him? Here's the key. Verse 23. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Prayer was the key for keeping Samuel's heart right toward those he led. Far be it from me that I, should cease, that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Samuel was not praying that they'd be taken out by a lightning strike. He was not praying that they would live miserable lives so that they would have to admit that Samuel had been right and he could say, I told you so. I think we can be sure that Samuel was praying for the Lord to work in their lives, to turn them back toward God. He was praying that the Lord would truly bless the people and the nation. God may be giving you great insight into the sins and errors and evils of our nation. But God reveals sinful realities around us, not so that we can judgmentally go tisk tisk, but so that we can intercede. And that was why the Apostle Paul told the church to pray for kings and all those in authority. When Paul wrote that letter to Timothy, the one in authority, the Roman emperor, was Nero. Nero, who tortured Christians for entertainment. And Paul said, pray for him. May I suggest that as a spiritual 
discipline as a place for us to begin. We might each adopt for prayer one public figure who seems to stand for everything we think is wrong in our culture. Ask the Lord to show you whom you might personally commit to pray for. Ask the Lord to give you his heart for that person. And pray. Pray as the Lord leads. Pray for the Lord's love and transforming power to move upon that one. As Christians, we're called to be both messengers of truth and ambassadors of reconciliation. May God give us his grace that we might set our faces like flint against all falsehood that opposes the gospel of Christ and yet keep our hearts tender toward others and toward God whoever convicts us and calls us back to him in repentance. Let's be bold and let's be humble and so that God might enable us to be both. Let's be people that pray. Amen.